Good evening, Mr. Jacobs. Jacob? Good evening, Jeff. I don't know. I always add the plural. I guess you get that all the time. Yes, that's why I love this <laughs> the way it is. Uh, do me a favor, share it around a little bit, and then we'll get started. There you go, Peter Jacob. <laughs> Peterforcongress.com or jacob2018.com. Okay. Hello, Peter Jacob. Good to have you. Glad you're with me. Always glad to be with uh, you, Jeff. All right. So uh, how would you care to begin? Do you want to, uh, um, uh, I guess, background, I guess, a little bit sort of how we met, you know, just the convention and what you did during the campaign and get into 2016 and then 2018 and maybe a little bit of platform. And so just uh, take it away. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Jeff. Uh, we met almost two years ago now at the DNC uh, convention. Uh, I saw what you were doing, some awesome work, actually listening to people uh, and talking about the issues that matter most. And uh, as a new candidate, that was finally refreshing to see, especially considering some of the other mainstream media that was around just continuing to spew the nonsense over and over. Somebody was asking tough questions there, and one of those people for sure was you, Jeff. So let me say a little bit about myself. Actually, uh, before you get it, I'm actually Peter, surprised to hear uh, – forgive me, forgive me. I'm actually surprised to hear you say that. Yeah. I didn't realize that you were aware of the live streams that I was doing at the convention. Of course. After you introduced yourself, then I started following you. Wow. So, and I saw, I, saw, I saw you who you were speaking with. I walked past. I heard you ask questions. I heard people answer. Uh, I, I don't know anything particularly in detail, I'd say. But I saw the work that you were doing, and you were out there, uh, definitely hustling. Uh, so you you witnessed me talking to people. You witnessed me interviewing people in person, is what you're saying. I, I didn't know that. That that's great. That's really great. Okay, um, I'll I'll put a link to that in the description so people can. I have a whole. I wrote all about it. There's there's I averaged about eight hours a day of footage, and I actually wrote a whole series about that coverage. Um, it's like 50, 50 articles. So I'll put a link to that in the co to the comments. That's really nice to hear. Okay. Yeah. So all I all I remember is uh, just one more thing. All I remember is seeing you at breakfast. Once we got done with that, you just jetted out there, and I just see you in passing after that. Great. Whether it was at a uh, yeah the center or where we were staying. So. Very nice surprise. Yeah. So Very nice surprise. again, Peter Jacob, uh, running for U.S. Congress in the wonderful seventh congressional district of New Jersey. A little background, my family came to the United States back in 1986. Uh, they just had 20 bucks in their pockets, hearts full of hope, and this guy has a six-month-old baby in their arms. They were able to establish a small business, put their children uh, through college, buy this beautiful home in the township of Union in Union County. I was got to clarify that because there's another Union County uh, out in Hunterdon, the other end of our district. Uh, I got my master's in social work. I came back the day after I graduated from WashU in St. Louis, and I worked as a community organizer, social worker at the Elizabeth Coalition to House the Homeless. Some see you see it, uh, the family's working two, three jobs, not making ends meet. And keep in mind, that's three years after the recession uh, happened. The vets who came back home, jobless, homeless, suffering from PTSD, uh, are, are senior citizens literally cutting their medications in half right in front of my own eyes. And I'd say the most challenging day of my vocation as a social worker. I don't see it as a career or another job. I think it's a real calling for public service. Uh, I saw a young gentleman uh, walk into my office 
and he had a baby in his arm. He went to college, got a job, got married, started a family. And I knew all that about him before he even approached uh, our office because we graduated college together. We went to Kane University together in Union. And here he was uh, at the brink of potentially being homeless, uh, you know, at risk of being homeless. And I asked myself, that was just a real awakening moment for me. You know, you go through school, you're at work, and you're kind of uh, you're kind of disassociated with what happens because you think of it as just everyday work. You know, you don't try to uh, uh, you kind of compartmentalize things so to avoid that kind of sense of bringing things home with you. But that day it stuck with me, and everything that I read and I knew just became so real. And I asked myself, why in the wealthiest country in the history of the world is he? doing everything right, playing by the rules, at the brink of potentially being homeless. Uh, why is a child going hungry? Why is a veteran committing suicide? And uh, for me, enough was enough. As a social worker, I found out that, or I felt that I was just maintaining the status quo. When I had clients uh, just come up to me, after that point, I just became very critical and thinking about the responses people would give me. I remember my clients coming up and saying, hey, Peter, I made it, I made it. And I say, hey, what happened? and anticipating what they're going to say. They say, I got on welfare. I got my food stamps. That to them was making. That to them was the American dream. And that was a complete failing of our country. If we can't give good paying jobs to folks so they could get out of the situation that they're in and end the cycle of poverty generation after generation. So I checked my privilege, checked uh, out what was actually going on. And I got tired of maintaining the status quo, ran for U.S. Congress, uh, no name recognition, barely any money, you know, 185 bucks I put in to start a website and whatnot and get things going. Uh, fast forward a few months later, we had the strongest campaign, over 1,500 volunteers across 14 states. We were endorsed by America's most favorite politician and most popular politician, Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, and we got nearly 45% vote. Strongest campaign to date against the entrenched establishment Republican, Leonard Lentz. Uh, and we did it based on a very progressive, perhaps the most progressive platform, not just seen in our district, but I think the most progressive platform any candidate has had in the state of New Jersey. Hmm. We unapologetically uh, fought for a $15, $15 minimum wage. We unapologetically fought for a Medicare for all healthcare system. We said we need to transition away from fossil fuels ASAP. Uh, and we also spoke to something most politicians do not uh, or have not until really now, until the advent of the Bernie Sanders kind of movement and campaign. And that is the fact that there's a tsunami of money that floods the pockets of politicians and drowns out all of our voices. And this goes beyond Citizens United. These are the lobbyists who bundle all this cash and uh, the for these industries and buy out all these politicians. Uh, and so those were the issues we spoke to. And I think that's why people listened and we earned their vote. Yeah, 43.1, I believe it was 43.1% against and complete unknown, um, obviously no party support. Um, that's, yeah, that, that's, that speaks a lot. That speaks a lot um, about you, about your volunteers, about what you were standing for. So that's great. Um, I'd like to understand, well, before I ask about you, uh, about your history, my, my second question is going to be at what, how did it change from, you were sort of witnessing these things going on to 
I'm running for office. So that's my second question. My first question is, um, oh, did Bernie Sanders teach you the fact of money in politics? Like, I, I know you, I mean, we all sort of know about it before, but did what did Bernie Sanders do as far as making that clearer to you, making that, you know, more present or a more clear lesson? Mm -hmm. Uh, so let's work backwards with that question first. Uh, so I knew about money in politics. I knew that, you know, all these politicians don't respond to our needs. They respond to their wealthy donors and corporations. You just see that over and over. It's not a coincidence that poverty exists in the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And I saw Citizens United, quote, unquote. I, you know, I, we really as progressives need to work on this framing. So not to uh, kind of appease more right wing talking points. And so seeing that, and I knew it was going to be catastrophic uh, down the line, and it, in fact, was. Uh, but Bernie was the first candidate to talk about it openly and identify the problem uh, and really make it a uh, thing that people could rally around. Like everybody, he said it, he made sense about it. You know, he says the top 1% or the 0.1% have more money than the bottom 90%. Come and on. so these simple ways of framing things is what I was kind of looking for. Um, I'll be honest, I couldn't articulate what it was. I knew the problem, but I think he was able to articulate it at a national stage, and now it's uh, common knowledge among people. Did you, know, um, did, did you know the depth of that lesson before him? For me, I sort of knew. No. I was like, lobbyists are evil. Like, you know, I knew that something was off, but I didn't get, I didn't really get it until he taught that lesson of the depth of it, that there is no, there's nothing more important than that. That's as low as you get. That's, you know. And also, his whole stump speech um, was boring. I mean, he repeated the same thing over and over again in almost every single event. And I couldn't get enough of it because it just felt so true and everything connected to each other. And it was all surrounded by or all, you know, underpinned by uh, money and politics. So he really um, he made it real and gave it, I didn't realize how profound it was until I heard him. Um, and actually, uh, that is one of the most important lessons for me. I, I think I have like three what I would consider the most important lessons that I've learned since Bernie Sanders. And one is that money in politics is the root of all evil or money is the root of all evil in politics. The other one is, uh, which we're not going to get into. Of everything. Of everything. Everything. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you needed to live, but, uh, true, true. Uh, big money. Uh, okay. The other one is, which we're not going to get into, but something that's very important to me and definitely important if you go into Congress, which is modern monetary theory, which is understanding how we have misunderstood how American economy, economy works and that it is critical because actually I had a little encounter with one of the gentlemen at your uh, amazing Medicare for, uh, for All town hall a couple weeks ago um, where everything was great except for one particular thing, which is uh, how do we pay for these programs, which it's misunderstood how the economy works, which I'm not going to get into now. Modern monetary theory is another one of the, the most important lessons. And the third is, uh, what's it called? Uh, Noam Chomsky's con manufactured consent, which is uh, uh, what the government does to basically trick people 
into, you know, helping the powerful. So yeah, Bernie Sanders was one of, and he was the catalyst that really set me up for learning these other lessons. So, okay. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry if you want to respond to that, but. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, real quick. Yeah. I think, uh, his economic advisor, I believe Stephanie Kelton. Oh yeah. Uh, is a, she's yeah. one of the biggest voices of mon monetary about. theory. Yeah. She taught me. Go ahead. So now, you know, we're going deeper into the uh, rabbit hole over here with MMT. Uh, it's going to be mainstream. People are going to understand it. You, you know, you, it's our government. What, yeah, I can't speak so eloquently. I'm not an economist, but uh, I could I could speak to some degree to understanding. Look, we could change things tomorrow if we were inclined, right? Uh, but we do not have the will, nor do we um, have this kind of framework to enable America to understand the uh, history, the economic history, and uh, the monetary history of America. Like, we switch from uh, being on the gold standard, being backed by gold, into just the petrodollar, into uh, all this stuff. What's, what's the American dollar based on? Confidence and fear and oil. You know, that, that's what it is. I know? just like you a uh, little bit what's more going now. On. Yeah. Well, one final thing. Folks, pay attention to what's happening with Iran. Iran switched over from the dollar to the euro. That's having impacts, and we're talking about war into Iran. Uh, we're going to manufacture consent for that potentially in the same way we've tried to do with Syria, mm. in the same way we've done in Libya, in the same way we've done with Iraq. You go down the line, Mossadegh, uh, Abdul Qasim, uh, Shukri al-Khawatli, you name what happened in all these countries. That is uh, uh, Iran, Iraq, and Syria, uh, respectively, in that order of those democratically elected revolutionaries who uh, became leaders of those countries. We went and overthrew them, and now we're stuck in this quagmire, to put it lightly, quote-unquote, uh, in the Middle East. And now we're just manufacturing consent to maintain power throughout the world. And I, I believe in creating a world based on peace where we interconnect we're interconnected, uh, knowing that we have challenges um, such as climate change and whatnot to address. And the only way we could do that is not just being the sole entity on the uh, uh, on the other side of the pond. We need to work with everybody for these solutions for peace and addressing climate change. And you name the issue. I you I I'm very impressed. So I just I I, I do not want to get into it, but. You understand that taxes do not pay for anything at the federal level. You, yeah. you, you get me, Peter. I get. It. I did not realize how good of a person you were. Okay, good, wonderful. I had. I, that's so exciting. Just knowledgeable. Just knowledgeable. No, but yeah. that. But it doesn't matter because there's two stages to learning MMT. The first stage is the mind bender that you seem to already get. Taxes do not pay for anything at the federal level. We've been told that this is not true for our whole lives. If you can get beyond that, and it, and then it, and then it, ex, it logically extends to uh, money is infinite. Therefore, they don't need taxes. Therefore, they don't need to borrow. Therefore, the only reason we don't have Medicare for all is because they don't want us to have it. It's that simple, and yep. and yep. which is the the guy at the 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 amazing gentleman at your who was at the Bernie Sanders internet, uh, internet um, town hall for Medicare for All in January, he said, you know, I, I, almost everything he has to teach, I have to learn, except he brought up the pay-for question. 
which is we have to tax the rich in order to have Medicare for all. And that's how you don't get it, because that reflects a misunderstanding that buys into the fact of basically class warfare, which is if we have to tax the rich in order to get Medicare for all, then we have to take it from the rich. We are now powerless against powerful. And that that is a horrible place to be because the powerless never win that fight. So I brought that up. It didn't go very well because as everybody, most people don't understand that. Um, but that is critical to understand. And the fact that you do, um, I find extraordinarily unusual and really, really encouraging. So I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I did not know. Okay. I think we just need to open the dialogue with folks and start from this. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so there's two humps. Once you can get over that mind bending hump, then there's plenty of more to learn the subtleties and so on. But, uh, you seem to be over that initial hump and that's really the most important thing. So, um, okay. So your platform is extremely progressive. Is there anything that's different, uh, than Bernie Sanders and you like, uh, I would, say his bill with regards to Medicare for all, uh, I know the tweaks in the Senate, they're working it through. And this is something I've evolved with uh, as I'm learning more myself through this journey called campaigning. Uh, you know, H.R. 676 is a bit different from uh, Bernie's Senate bill. Bernie's Senate bill goes into effect within, I believe, five years is the anticipated period of time. Uh, whereas H H.R. 676, the initial Conyers bill that now Keith Ellison uh, is now the lead sponsor, and now that Conyers is no longer in the House, uh, that is almost immediate. You put it into effective media. I think that's uh, one difference. Um, I see myself. Which uh, which version do you prefer? HR six seven six. Because it goes into effect immediately. That's what you said. Okay. Sorry. Go on. We can't. We can't wait a while. We can't wait around for this. You know, we went in to say, look, I didn't even know it was. Ha I knew it was going to happen, but we sent 114 missiles uh, to the tune of $224 million like this. And that's to take life, right? That's to take life. But to wow. give life and to be about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, why can't we just do it like this? Huh? We should. There should be no excuse for that. Well, it's, I, would, I would imagine that, that Bernie Sanders is doing it in order to ease the transition of all the workers. So what would, would you do it immediately or would you compromise between the two somehow? I don't think there's any space for a compromise at this point, Jeff. Uh, the, the stakes are too high. The time is too limited. That's just great. To settle. That's uh, great. We should have, yeah, we should have done this 10 years ago. You don't compromise on the unjust industry. I can, I can, that, yeah. that's a good Look, point. Republicans, when's the last time you met a Republican that compromises and they they compromise, uh, in favor of the special interests, you know, they, they, well, actually, let me take that back. They don't compromise at all. They serve the interests of their big donors. Uh, they made it clear, we need to get this tax plan through. Otherwise, the money will dry up. That's uh, to paraphrase um, Lindsey Graham, right? There. Yeah. You know, that's that's not a compromise. That's not serving the American people. Mm -hmm. uh, and same thing with the Affordable Care Act. I didn't see any compromise in it really either. I saw a lot of theater. Uh, we should have had a Medicare for All program when we had the House. Uh, I didn't see any bills with regards to addressing gun violence, which is now a very important issue. Democrats had the House. That was 10 years, 10-year 10 anniversary of uh, Columbine passed, the two-year anniversary, anniversary of uh, Virginia Tech passed. And we that's still in America's psyche. 
and yet nothing was done to pass any kind of legislation uh, to have a serious conversation in America about that because healthcare or climate change because we don't have leaders who stand up for the American people. It's a government up by and for the corporation, not no longer up by and for the people. Right, right. Um, okay, so you would go with HR 676 instead of Bernie's bill simply because it goes, it, it's immediate. And uh, that's, I, I, that's good. I mean, part of me was like, we should maybe give him a year or something, but you're right. It's, we're compromising with an unjust industry, the private and medical insurance industry needs to go away we need to take care of the people that are currently part of it but that is not nearly as important as taking care of the tens of millions of people that don't have health care so i i really hadn't thought exactly. of it that way but i i agree with you so is there anything else that is different than you and bernie sanders that you disagree with him or uh i with regards to peace you know, I believe we need to wage peace uh, and we need to end perpetual warfare. Uh, Senator Sanders, he has come out pretty clearly about Gaza. He's been pretty clear about his positions with Syria. I think, um, you know, as a senator from Vermont, I just don't imagine that his focus is so much foreign policy. I think uh, it's getting there and he's becoming a real voice. But I'd say um, I'd like to see him uh, more active in um, building or restoring an anti-war movement in America. Um, and he's lived through that. He's seen it. You have a generation of people who've uh, seen Vietnam. Many of them are, you know, hanging up the jerseys. Uh, but our generation doesn't have that in our psyche. We don't remember uh, the anti-war movement. We watch uh, Ken Burns' uh, flick documentary, and that's how we learn about it. Uh, what, what, the reason what? I got into yeah, what Ken Sorry. Burns, what Ken Burns flick are you talking about? Uh, he he did an excellent uh, documentary about Vietnam. I oh. suggest everybody watch it. It's like a ten part, two hour each episode uh, wow. series. Beautifully well done. Yeah, okay. about Vietnam from all sides and perspectives. Got it. Uh, I got into politics um, as a result of the invasion of Iraq. Uh, I don't know what John McCain or Senator Hillary, Hillary Clinton were seeing at the time. I, a high school senior, uh, clearly saw through the BS that there were no weapons of mass destruction. Um, and I knew what the UN inspector said. I knew who, uh, what Kofi Annan said, uh, the UN Secretary General said. And after that, I really questioned the motives there. And I became more critical of our government. I was already critical of George W. Bush after the whole Florida fiasco. Uh, during the election cycle, but that's when I became political in my life. And I realized um, on the campaign trail in 2016, uh, a lot of the young folks on our campaign, high school uh, kids, they grew up in perpetual warfare. All they've seen is warfare. Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, and all the other nations, now Syria, Libya, Somalia, you name it, Ukraine, just constant warfare. And I hope this doesn't become the status quo for them. That the, that the military-industrial complex is not even a word that passes their mind uh, in a critical way, uh, that they don't understand what those words actually meant when Eisenhower first said them. Uh, and so I think it's critical at this moment in history, as this uh, administration with Bolton and Pompeo are revving up, uh, 
the war efforts um, that we we pay attention to what's happening and how catastrophic that could be, uh, whether it's with Syria, Iran, or Russia. In fact, that uh, we need somebody to remind us how dangerous and how unethical this is. And I think Sanders could do it. I, I'm uh, I'm jealous with how long you've been aware of these things. I did not. I was not aware of. I mean, I knew Iraq was happening. I watched CNN for whatever for the first day of the invasion, which they I, they sort of started around that time, or at least became popular. But I I was not aware. I was not awake until Bernie Sanders. Um, it just came like a flood. Um, what all the way back then. Like now, there's the Young Turks and Jimmy Dore and and progressive media and you know and real progressives and they're and you know they're all of them are trying to be they're trying to squelch them. It's easier now with the internet and the internet. Oh gosh, the internet! It's all on the internet. So yeah. it's it's yeah. it's easy to find the truth. You have to work hard at it, but it's it's clear where you go to find truth. But back in 1993, when the Iraq War started, how did you how did you know what was there to, to tell you the truth? 2003, you mean? 1990. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. That was the first. I, I, that was, yeah. yeah. I was deaf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was too busy riding my bike and playing uh, uh, Nintendo and stuff like that back in 1993 <laughs> to notice when that. All right. So 2003, what, what, what were your sources of truth? Because how could you see through from what my point of view was all mainstream media, the whole just this is governmental television? Mm. Uh, I think. I'd say is my father um, also helped out. You know, he had friends uh, who were paying attention to what was happening. And I think he came past one day uh, working in New York. Some anti-war movement folks handed him a flyer. And I remember that flyer coming to uh, my house and he handed it to me. And it was just a list of stuff uh, say, stating why um, and what the politicians and mainstream media are saying are not facts. They were listing all the facts. Um, and I remember paying attention to, again, Kofi Annan, uh, the UN Secretary General at the time. Uh, it was a guy that I admired. And he was very critical of it. He said, we send our inspectors. And Saddam, who, he's no saint, but he's opened the doors to us. And he's allowed us to uh, come and check and inspect. And we don't see any evidence of this. And I respected the institution, I as I still do, of the United Nations. Uh, than I do. I did George W. Bush and his administration. I knew what Dick Cheney was about with just some uh, information. You know, you piece the puzzle together. Uh, you know, you knew this guy worked for Halliburton. You knew they wanted to send a pipeline to the Caspian uh, Sea. Uh, you also knew some of the history with regards to Afghanistan was an awesome, cool place. Also, also being an Indian American, I have, you know, at, at the time also... Uh, working with my dad and meeting a lot of people, uh, people from the Middle East and Afghanistan. They were like, yeah, Afghanistan was an awesome, cool place. People wore miniskirts. They listened to music. They drank. They partied. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, the Soviets um, came in, the U.S. funded Osama bin Laden, you know, the freedom fighters and whatnot. Uh, and then the rest was kind of history from there. Uh, and so you pat put these things together like a, like a detective and you draw your own conclusions based on your knowledge and intuition. So how much of it was your own discovering it for yourself and how much of it was your father sat you down and said, listen, what you're seeing is not the truth and, you know, 
So you're, I mean, you're fi I, mean, I guess I'm asking partly how much of an inspiration or, or truth teller was your father? Yeah. Well, he, he just said, you know, we, we have the news on in the background and I was not an avid uh, watcher of the news. Um, but, you know, we knew what was happening. We saw the manufacturing consent for this war and revving up efforts. Uh, but he just handed it to me and we just had a brief discussion about it. And in fact, the next day I brought it to school and I showed my uh, one of my teachers and uh, my teacher was like, you got to read this out loud in class. And me, a C plus student in high school who was not really active or engaged, went up in front of the class and read this list of things that this anti-war movement uh, protesters and activists through the decades put together. And I remember somebody signed in my yearbook saying, Peter, I did not know how smart you are. Wow. Uh, and when I, yeah, and I asked her that day when she signed it, I was like, well, why are you saying that? You know, I'm graduating with a 2.2 GPA. Here. And she was like, that stuff you said about the war. And that's what continued to uh, engage me in the socioeconomic, political spheres that we all uh, walk through every day of life. That's great. So, so was your father like in other areas or like sort of general truth? Was he, did he help you? Did he guide you in as far as yes, this is the truth? I'd say the impact my father had in my Jacob. life is, has in my life is uh, just uh, educating me. I've, I had a thousand questions. As you see a lot of these books back here, the top row is all religion. Every major religious book, I got it. Uh, and so whenever I asked him a question about religion, um, and I kept asking him questions, and this was throughout high school, you know, your brain is growing. When all everybody else is partying and chasing after girls and playing sports and things like that, I was spending time seeking truth and meaning and purpose in life, right? And so uh, he, I kept asking him questions about whatnot till at one point he couldn't answer it, and I could uh, and I remember one of my... That's when you, know, you grow up. I, I don't mean to be... Yeah, yeah. That's that's when you grow up and you become critical. I remember... Uh, I, 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 this happened recently. So uh, he watches CNN, MSNBC and stuff. I watch Jimmy Dore, TYT. I read The Intercept and all that stuff. I'll put on CNN, Fox News, just to see what the mainstream is spewing. And just so I know, as I'm campaigning and stuff, where the base is. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can't stand it for too long because I know it's BS. Um, and so I remember when I was younger, you know, everybody, I, everybody knew wrestling was fake, but when Goldberg came out, when Razor Ramon came out, it was the most awesome thing in the world. And I remember yeah, my well, dad always making fun. Of that doesn't, uh, wrestling doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't have quite the impact on your lives as, uh, what CNN <laughs> does. No, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, because you know it's fake. And I remember my dad saying, you know this is fake. Well, how do you watch this uh, garbage? And now I watch him watch, watching CNN, MSNBC, uh, and he'll also put on Fox uh, just to see what they're saying. And I said to him recently, like, you know this is fake. How could you watch this garbage? So the tables have definitely turned. Wow, very interesting. Um, okay, so how... You, you said you got into politics around 2003 with the Iraq war. You didn't run for anything until 2016. Is that right? Yeah. I couldn't run for anything when I was 16. Wait. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> what triggered you to 
what triggered you to decide to run? Well, uh, was Bernie Sanders part of that? Absolutely. I think it played a part. Well, before Sanders ran, I always thought about it. Um, I saw the state of our nation. I saw the skill sets that I had personally. I was a community organizer. I worked with uh, churches, uh, small businesses, large businesses, uh, institutions, other politicians across the board to address my uh, homeless shelter program uh, and the needs of the community. Uh, so I've done the work, um, and I just saw that I was hitting a ceiling, you know. And again, as a social worker, you're kind of just maintaining the status quo, in all honesty. You're trying to get them onto welfare. You're trying to get them into uh, a shelter. That's not to say that social workers want to genuinely bring about change. Not to say that that doesn't happen or is happening. But I think what is the problem is we're stuck in a system where they only allow people in poverty to go so far. Uh, they do not create the laws, they do not create the programs, they do not enable the, the legislation and policy like a Medicare for All, like a federal jobs guarantee, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, the reason we can't have a Medicare for All system, a federal jobs guarantee, putting people to work, is because we do not have the government to do that. And I saw myself uh, in a situation where I said, enough is enough for me. Uh, and I saw this guy up there saying the same thing. And he was directly speaking to me. Every issue that he mentioned was something I was seeing on the ground. And I saw the opioid epidemic. I saw a heroin crisis before it was the cool, popular thing to actually talk about <clears throat> in the streets of Elizabeth. I remember a guy coming to me and uh, he was in my program. And I remember one day he was just in a bad mood. His eyes were bloodshot red. He just cursed me out, right? He cursed me out. Uh, and the next morning he came back and he apologized. And I said, what was going on? What was the situation he said, that he cursed you head. out? What, like, were you as a social worker, as just walking getting, around? Or? Yeah, yeah, as a social worker, as a social worker. Oh, okay. He, he showed up late. He showed up late. And I had to check in with everybody. You know, it's, you know, how you're doing? I didn't see him all day. Oh, I see. So I'm checking okay. in with him. It's, yeah. It's the evening. He's sitting there to the left of me, and he's just giving me this attitude. You name the curse word, he called me. Uh, but so the next day, he comes back, and he apologizes to me. He said, Peter, I'm sorry, man. Uh, I was like, what happened? And he said, I didn't get my hit for the day. I was like, what's your drug of choice? He says, heroin. And I had a curiosity then. You know, this was, I was into the job about four months at this point, and I asked him, uh, and this is one month, roughly one month into our program, and he just joined two weeks ago, two weeks prior to this. And I asked him, how much is a hit of heroin? He says, five bucks. I was like, kidding? Are you kidding? Five bucks? That's cheaper than a pack of cigarettes, man. And he's like, yeah, five bucks. And it was ubiquitous. It's everywhere. But here's the thing. Nobody cared about heroin when it was impacting Uptown Elizabeth, when it was impacting blacks and Hispanics. All of a sudden, it became a big deal when it was impacting white communities in Tom's River and other parts of the country. You know, now it's now it's an issue everybody's talking about. And so why is my government not addressing this? Why is it only an issue when it impacts white people? And so I put all this together and I saw Bernie Sanders was talking about it. And then I saw Bernie Sanders running without a super PAC. In the era of super PACs, in the era of a Colbert, a Stephen Colbert PAC, uh, yeah. here's a guy who's running and making raising money through small dollar donations from people, which by the way, our average contribution in 20, 2016 was 26 bucks. 
not as cool as Bernie. Just a dollar. Uh, uh, and so you're missing something. That he you're missing could do, something. And, yeah. I don't know what it is. That one dollar, <laughs> you know, it's all different. So, um, and seeing that a relatively unknown uh, democratic socialist senator, some seventy-year-old Jewish bald socialist, you know, there's nothing sexy about that image, running and amassing that much support. And I'd also say, you know, even Barack Obama was very inspiring. I was in grad school in Missouri at the time. I got involved and I saw the ex excitement and stuff like that. To see a man whose complexion is no different from my own. Uh, a, a senator I only had known at that time. I knew him for two years because, again, my dad and I, we were watching CNN his, when his uh, George Bush had a State of Union. Oh, oh, oh no, I thought you were going to say yeah, two, two, yeah, I thought you were going to say Barack yeah. Obama's well, I, very good speech at uh, the previous yeah. Democratic I heard election. that speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that speech after, and that was, yo, you're talking to me, you know? Uh, but I saw him, he was sitting there, and my dad was like, oh, that's Barack Obama. And uh, I saw him, I was like, oh, you know, I didn't think much of him. Then he started running, and I was pretty much all about him. I voted for him in the primary and then, of course, in the general election. But just seeing him get elected was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't do what we hoped he would do to bring about the change uh, that he planned to give us. And I saw all that in Bernie Sanders. I saw the FDR in Bernie Sanders. The good part, the good uh, part. Yes. Yes, the good. Yes, the good part. To clarify, a new deal that works for everybody, uh, and not turning anyone away. And a faith, the Jewish a, people, and a faith yeah. that it's actually going to happen. Yes, yes, because he was not backed by the corporate money. Uh, he showed an incredible amount of humility. I remember when he was actually interrupted by some Black Lives Matter activists, and he stepped aside and he allowed them to speak. You never have politicians do that. And then when uh, there's that whole ridiculous thing that they try to make a scandal out of the DNC uh, voter file that you know, oh, there's some horrible campaign. So, yeah, some nonsense. But he was on stage and he apologized for it. You don't see politicians. You know what? You know what? You know what made that apology so effective? What made that apology so effective was it? That was the second debate, maybe the third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was at a watch party for it. Yeah. What made that apology so effective was that in the first debate, he told Hillary, no one cares about your damn emails. He gave that to mm -hmm. her. Yes. He gave that huge thing to her. And if he didn't do that, yes. Yes. if he didn't do that, then his saying, I'm sorry, and that was basically his payment for giving something so generously to, to Hillary Clinton in the first debate. I really, I really feel like that was the reason why it didn't become nearly as big as it could, because he was gracious mm -hmm. in the first debate. Interesting. Uh, yeah. um, okay. A lot of other plenty so, of other stuff that came up like that. Yeah, so, no, I, I mean, okay. Uh, um, you said that, white, you know, uh, that the, the crisis isn't known until white people are affected you know, rich people. Uh, so for you, it was heroin and the opioid epidemic. And, and you saw Bernie, I think you said you saw Bernie speaking about it, but Bernie was actually not just speaking about the epidemic, you know, the white people part of it. He was actually saying, we need to legalize pot. We need to deal with the criminal justice system mm -hmm. because that helps the powerless people, which includes African-Americans and, right. and just all these disadvantaged communities. So not only was he, you know, he's sticking up for everyone. He's sticking up for everyone, is, is what I'm trying to say. Right. It wasn't just, you know, and, uh, you know, Barack Obama, 
I was inspired by him as well. And can you see it? So yeah, now I have a, a Bernie Sanders up there. It used to be Bernie Sanders and Obama, and of course, just Obama at one point. Um, and I finally decided to take Barack Obama down because I, I, you know, the more I think about it, especially hearing Jimmy Dore, who is very knowledgeable about it, um, Barack Obama is a wonderful, inspiring speaker. And he really didn't follow through with much of it. Um, that's how I feel. And, and in fact, I see him, especially with the, uh, the, uh, the pipeline, the North Dakota, uh, mm -hmm. pipeline thing where, where yeah, he was dapple, dapple, no dapple, access pipeline. no, yeah. Where he said, we're just going to let it play out for a couple of weeks, which is just like, mm -hmm. oh, it's just like the most disappointing thing. But I, I actually, I really started to see him as, um, he was tired of the contradiction of the inspirational speech, but knowing how bought he is. Um, but that, that's sort of just an aside, but that it, it, it's a real disappointment seeing what happened with that. Um, okay. So forget about Barack Obama. Um, regarding Jimmy Dore, you say you watch Jimmy Dore and TYT. I'd like to know what else you watch and what you, what your sources of truth are now. Um, and I'm also curious what you think, uh, is there any problems or do you have any criticisms? I mean, Jimmy Dore and TYT for me are my primary sources of truth. I have some pretty significant criticisms of them, but that doesn't change the fact. So I'm wondering, um, what are your sources of truth beyond Jimmy Dore and TYT? And, uh, and is there anything about them that happens to, you know, that you actually feel sort of a criticism about? Mm -hmm. uh, I listen every Wednesday morning, uh, Jeremy Scahill of the Intercept releases the Intercepted podcast. Uh, which is excellent. Uh, I think uh, it brings on so many awesome guests. Uh, and it's, um, yeah, just good information. Uh, the Nation also does a podcast. I follow them on Facebook as well. Um, uh, there's a Best of the Left podcast that comes out, uh, and they just uh, do a compilation of things from uh, left-leaning uh, media sources, and they put things together uh, with it. Um, so I'd say that's those are the primary things that I listen to. I listen to a lot of Jimmy Dore. Uh, I think there's some things with regards to how critical Jimmy is of the Democratic Party, uh, often warranted, without a doubt. But I think he also needs to see uh, from the perspective. And I think you only get this perspective having run. Uh, and I think also... You know, he's in California. They have a way of doing things. Niger we're in New Jersey. We have a way of doing things. You could be in Iowa, Mississippi, Alabama. The Democratic Party is different everywhere. Uh, and the way they function is different. And so we have a movement here in the state of New Jersey where people are running for county committee. We have uh, people running uh, under uh, our banner, Reform Democrats, for county committee to ultimately uh, get the voices in the county committee so that things are fair, balanced, and uh, progressives actually have a chance. Uh, what we see at the national level is often what we see here at the local level. It's handed to the candidate, often the one with the most money, if not always. Uh, and so I think he needs to get that perspective. That's the only thing I'd say about uh, what he's saying. But, you know, people I'm, are a formation of their experiences and their knowledge. Base. I'm actually unclear of what your criticism is. I. I I mean, I, yes. I, he's obviously... So he's... In, yeah, let me make this one point real quick. He's 
all for pretty much he's very critical of the Democratic Party yeah uh, often at times of course uh, and he's he's saying we need a third party oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. okay uh, we just need to do it so that's that's where I'm uh, getting all that from so you're that's saying you're saying responses so you're not you're, you're you're not saying that you disagree with are you saying that you disagree with his criticism or any parts of his criticism of the Democratic Party or are you saying that you just simply disagree that a third party is the way to go I think his immediate jump to a third party is not the the best solution. Hey, look, I'm all for more parties. Uh, I welcome it. I don't think um, that is the only solution. I think we could win uh, working in the Democratic Party, keeping in mind that there is uh, infrastructure that already exists. And it's a matter of people actually just paying attention to what is already there. It's there for the taking. We just need the revolution to take it. Uh, and I don't think Jimmy speaks to that as much. So, I mean, his argument would be that, yeah, there's infrastructure there, but it's so corrupted and decrepit that there's no point. That's, his, that's I think, what is what he would say, and that Bernie Sanders is the most popular politician in the United States, and that the only way to get things started is with a figure like that, and that even if you don't win, and this is, again, this is what he believes, um, even if you don't win, that that is the beginning of a substantial party and that it would scare the powers that be into starting a change, into starting momentum, even if we don't get people into office next time. So you're, I think you're saying that you agree with his criticism, but you disagree with the fact, with the theory that a third party is the way to make that change. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say also, look, we need to work on every, uh, Look, I'm more than happy to see Greens run, especially more on the local level, um, and win seats there. I think, you know, you start from the bottom and get the fire going over there. It's going to bring about change. It's going to force the party to come more to the left. Uh, and so I think on all fronts, we need to be active. Okay. And I see my, at least this, at this point, in my personal history and my activism, to work through the Democratic Party as that infrastructure is there. Uh, and we've proven in 2016 uh, that we could inspire so many people to get, come out, get involved, and do what we did. Again, I was not an assembly person. I had no name recognition. Uh, and yet, out of all that, in a presidential year, uh, we showed up, did the work. Uh, the establishment person who was favored by them, uh, obviously, didn't make it past the primary, didn't get enough accurate signatures to do that, uh, and we worked up against the system. And it shouldn't be like that, uh, but I see that there is potential, that people, um, it takes time, however unfortunate. And at this moment, that is so critical in our history, uh, I see myself working within the Democratic Party to bring about the change. But I, I full props to people working outside of the party, I think. All that pressure from all ends is much needed to bring about uh, the goals that we all share in common. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, so last question about Jimmy Dore, which is, do you disagree with any of his criticisms of the Democratic Party? Uh, I've had, I got to go back and really uh, look at. Uh, but nothing strikes you immediately. Says, of big... No, not, no. I think he's spot on with a lot of the stuff he says and the way he says it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really yeah. it's yeah. it's really nice. It helps you keep 
your it helps you stay as a nice person it's sane and 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 to be nice to have these anger translators out there for you he's he's <laughs> it, it's it's really it really helps to to see somebody else just pop like that like really sometimes he just has righteous anger and it's like wow it's just, just like just some comedian on youtube youtube competing with cnn yeah to the point that they had to smear him oh right? yeah so yeah it's disgusting um Okay, so I just want to briefly say what I'm, what my criticisms are of both of them and uh, TYT and Jimmy Dore, which is number one, MMT. They have these great art. They have these great articles or whatever the you know the segments that they have, and they frame them so utterly horrendously wrong. They you know they say taxes pay for stuff, and our taxes should pay for for Medicare for all. It shouldn't pay for the military. Yeah, the information's correct, but the paying for part mm -hmm. is just completely frames everything wrong. So MMT is number one. That's a big one with a lot of progressive uh, journalists. And number two uh, with TYT, I really, really think it's a very big mistake of how negative they are uh, with Donald Trump, how insulting they are with Donald Trump. Baby, he's such an idiot, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Because it's critical that progressives and non-progressives work together because Trump supporters and progressives have a very small intersection of things that they agree with. And if you insult their leader, someone that they care about, that turns them off and that makes them stop listening to you. So, um, okay. So for, well, okay. If you don't get in, what is your next step? Oh man. Hypothetical situations, Jeff. Uh, well, I'm counting on getting in. So of course you're going to get in. I, of course. Work. I didn't mean to, you know. But just on the hypothetical. <laughs> yes. Hypothetically, let's say uh, we don't win this time. Uh, just continuing the work, uh, building up uh, momentum around issues. You know, uh, you were there about two weeks ago when we had our Medicare for All uh, town hall forum. Uh, fortunately, having running for office, you have that uh, platform. You have... Uh, the ability to go out and do that, those kind of things and attract people's attention. And I want to continue to do it. Um, and having built my name recognition for whatever it is, for whatever it's worth, to continue to speak throughout New Jersey uh, about the issues that people, once they learn about it, realize, hey, I'm for it. So just fighting for those progressive values, uh, I'm just going to continue the work. Uh, I don't see myself continuing to be a perennial candidate or things like that. Uh, Maybe at I, different levels, not necessarily me, Congress? Yeah. Um, and no, I'm saying I don't see myself continually running for office. Oh. Uh, I can't tell you if I'd run again in 2020. I, I don't know that. Regardless of the level. I can't say that now. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, regardless of the level. Okay. Uh, I see myself working the issues. And I'll say this just about myself. I never wanted to run for office. I My essay for graduate school was starting my own nonprofit to address human trafficking globally. Uh, and working in social work, you realize I can't address those issues and the underlying structural problems of global poverty and things like that that enable something like human trafficking uh, for labor or for forced prostitution and sex uh, to exist without addressing, uh, without addressing the lack of legislation that is in place to bring about the change and uh, you even get into it much deeper uh, when you realize 
these issues are not just overseas, they're right here. And there's several horrendous things that are happening right here at home. The fact that Flint doesn't have clean drinking water. Look at the state of Puerto Rico right now. Uh, the way that you have a whole system design in which uh, we are all captive to neoliberalism. Our, uh, you know, the way we think about the world, our education institutions, heck, our labor movement or lack thereof, our unions are even thinking in this construct. I think there are people of a generation who are fighting back against that. I think there are people who understand it, but um, there is, needs to be a socio-cultural evolution and revolution to bring about this kind of change. And I have to continue the work to do exactly that. I don't see myself, even after getting into public office, I don't see myself sitting there forever, uh, becoming a sender and uh, being there forever. I want to go back and do the work. I know in my lifetime, I will not see the promised land. Uh, and I don't want to get religious on you, but the beauty of some of these stories is how they're relevant today. The story of Moses is him for 40 years walking through the desert with these people who are just cursing him out and <coughs> worshiping a golden calf and whatnot. And then they get there, and he's not even allowed to get in to the promised land, right? He could only see it from a distance. Um, and I think that's our story. That would be the story of our generation, Jeff that we toil and suffer and fight uh, to get to the promised land. We may not see it, but the next generation and generations to come will. And I think, to me, I'm fine with that. You know, I have my uh, pockets of happiness in my life. My dog, uh, my girlfriend, my family, my friends, uh, that's enough for me. But the world could be, a, we could build a kingdom of heaven right on earth. We just need the right people to do it. And I think standing up with integrity and fighting for what is right and just is the only thing that matters for me. It's not about the ink. It is not about the money. Uh, it's about doing right at the end of the day because I'm blessed, quote unquote, to have what I have. And uh, when I see others who don't have the privileges that I've have throughout my life uh, and can't imagine the suffering that they go through, uh, I'm grateful, but also at the same time humble enough to want to do this kind of work. So the fight continues. And the only way we do it is with bold, brave, and progressive values. It's very sobering to hear you say we're not going to see the promised land. It's, it's pretty sobering to hear that. Um, okay, <clears throat> why don't we just spend a few minutes. I don't want to get too into it, but spend a few minutes on the uh, – the uh, democratic difficulties you've had. Um, I consulted with you. You gave me, uh, you referred me to your article where where you were being shut out of the line. And I'm, I put the article in, in the description, a link to it, which there's just a small mention of Peter near the end. Um, <clears throat> but just briefly uh, run through the difficulties that you've been having with the Democratic Party and, you know, Sure. As I mentioned a little earlier in 2016, uh, I reached out to all the chairs and people uh, saying, hey, look, my name is Peter Jacob. I'm supporting Bernie Sanders. I'd love to uh, run. Um, and just out of courtesy to everybody and respectful process. Uh, of course, the party put up somebody initially being a Clinton supporter and things like that. And wherever they had democratically held primaries in 2016, those county conventions, uh, because the counties who give you the line, uh, 
and that's what determines things at the end of the day. I say we have a quasi-democracy in the state of New Jersey because once you got the line, most people, their, their, their best candidate could be in line Z, but they see Democrat, they see a whole bunch of people listed there, and then they just, all right, I'm going to... The party must know better than I do. Button. Indeed, exactly. And so um, we got the party line because our opponent at the time couldn't uh, get enough qualifying signatures. We went on and had a tremendous campaign, and uh, the strongest campaign. And in fact, there was a party chair who was not a big fan of me. Uh, I, I was standing right next to her while she was speaking to one of uh, the county uh, committee uh, executive uh, board members and said, pointing to me, this guy has more volunteers than he knows what to do with. You know, because we had volunteers in their office. We had uh, volunteers in a bunch of different offices doing work, and we really built the Democratic Party. This time around, I knew I was not going to get support of the party. I knew I was going to raise a million dollars in the first quarter or whatever. But I knew I wanted to continue to fight and serve. Uh, and people wanted me to do this, that, that exact thing. And so uh, we went out, we did the work, because now the district was in play. You know, the DCCC, this was the first district in New Jersey, I believe, that the DCCC, you know, the uh, the one that all the establishment looks to seeking and uh, some type of mention of f from, um, identified this district. And then uh, organizations that popped up post-Trump, like Swing Left, uh, this was the first swing district that they identified, uh, along with other organizations. And so the district was in play. And who made it happen? Uh, campaign with people who were intrinsically motivated who came out. Uh, I don't take credit for it. It's just people who came out. You know, it just so happens a brown-skinned, bearded, millennial social worker who was a Bernie Sanders supporter and unapologetically progressive showed up and talked about these issues. And in fact, if I may add, as a side note, Leonard Lance, our Republican incumbent here, sent out a mail in which um, it shows a picture of him, his name, and it says fiscal conservative and all his fiscal, fiscally conservative uh, issues. Then it was uh, my name, my picture, Bernie Sanders, liberal. And then all my issues, $15 minimum wage. He framed a government takeover of health care for Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. You can just imagine the way they framed this, right? Even after he sent that out, that mail out to people, we still secured the strongest campaign today, right? Uh, and so... The party, they uh, initially decided, uh, you know, that, that, that was 2016. Now okay. I'm coming into 2018. Okay. So the party, you know, we knew they were not going to support uh, me going in. Again, uh, not going to raise millions of dollars or more immediately and whatnot. We don't have. My friends are social workers, teachers, and working class people, and some people still in college and uh, graduate school. All right. So whatever they could give. I, I appreciate. Uh, but anyway, they decided who they're going to pick early on. That person dropped out. Uh, there was another person who entered the race, uh, former uh, undersecretary in the Obama administration, fantastic-looking resume. When the other person dropped out, all the favor pretty much went out to the other person. And now there's a lot of details in here. I'm sure uh, it will be in the article or people do Google search about what's going on in our campaign. In the interest of time, I'll put it simply like this. That other person raised over a million dollars, uh, and so the party is ultimately going to favor him. 
Right. And the question is, is who did he raise that million dollars from? And how much, what's the average, what's the average donation? For him? Yeah. For him, for a million dollars. $26 a piece? Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. From, no, from uh, 90% uh, yeah. New Jersey 7 congressional yeah. uh, voters? I don't think definitely so. Not. Definitely not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 90% of his contributions that I know for a fact are from big money donors, which right. are $200 a month. Of course. I mean, the very cynical way of saying this would be he has shown a willingness to be bribed. And uh, so they're rallying around him. Um, okay. Um, we are approaching an hour. I assume that you need to get off. So why don't you... Uh, yes. Okay. So why don't you uh, just, you know, give a, a final thing? I actually, I, I must say that the... This, we've never really spoken before, and this is, this is I, I've learned quite a lot about you, and, and especially a couple of things that are incredibly pleasant surprises, so that's really nice. I've known you for a couple of years now, but this is really our first time of getting a chance to talk, and it's been, that's, it's been great. Um, and I was, at that de I was at that debate with Leonard Lance, and that was exciting. <laughs> you did great. Yes, uh, that's right, yeah. I was at the debate with Barry Brendel and, I, and some other people I can't recall at the moment. Um, that was a really exciting, I, you really held your own. That was your first major debate, is that right? Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. we asked him. Uh, interesting story about that, you know, he wouldn't debate, he refused to debate. Uh, and then we actually crashed his website, sending messages, as in like people were like, hey, he won't debate us, send him a message, tell him to debate, Peter J. His website ended up crashing because so many messages were sent and he finally agreed. Uh, we did it where he actually usually does it. He wasn't gonna, but at the Gateway Chamber of Commerce, which is a more business-oriented, right-leaning, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily right-leaning, but more uh, moderate to right uh, kind of mm -hmm. audience. Yeah, I, I mean, the questions didn't seem that? that terrible. I don't remember what it was, but my feeling was, my, my sort of remembering of it was, that the questions weren't that bad. Uh, he yeah. he i remember feeling like he twisted a couple of things i wasn't as knowledgeable back then um but uh yeah no you you, you did, didn't know how social security works oh yeah yeah and you you yeah, had yeah. you had a good response to something i remember yeah anyway that was a great memory that was a really nice memory um so yeah so please uh close us out give us you know tell people what they can do to help you um you know yeah, absolutely. Again, thank you, Jeff. And uh, one correction uh, to your statements. We did speak once. It was briefly. It was at the convention. You asked me for a few words as a candidate. Oh, uh, no, no. But I mean, so, like, I've gotten to know you for the like first this. time. Yeah, yeah. No, of course, we've spoken a number of times. No. But, but I really feel like I've, I've... Yeah, go ahead. That was the first time we spoke. Um, but yeah, honor, pleasure. It was. This was absolutely fun, man. I, I, will, I look forward to doing it again. So... Look, folks, I'm just going to seriously level it down to you. The stakes are way too high right now. The time is limited. And we need to get into the game. Nobody said democracy was going to be easy. We're at the uh, brink of an actual political revolution in this country. We've gotten close to it several times during the Civil Rights Movement, during the anti-war movement. But this time, there is a convergence of generations. You got an anti-war movement generation, you got millennials, you got this what they call Generation Z who is saying enough enough is enough with the gun violence. We cannot fall prey to what the establishment wants us to think. 
And establishment politicians will tell you that corruption and bribery are just the way the games are played. Uh, you may think that way of the world because you grew up in politics like that. But the lives of children and your grandchildren are not a game. Uh, our planet and the only planet that we know and what we're doing to it is not a game. You know, th this is already having serious consequences to our very own livelihood. And we need to understand the interconnectedness of all of us on this planet. And we need to change the politics of, you know, uh, playing this kind of transactional game with people, with special interests, and with uh, uh, your colleagues on one side of the legislature and uh, then with the colleagues within your own party and realize that we could do some great things. And we need to ask, what will our legacy be? You know, how will your children or grandchildren look at you? you know, uh, it, it was something I actually wrote to Paul Ryan uh, in a postcard that I sent at one event. You know, what will your children and grandchildren say to you? What will people say to, the, say to them with regards to you? They will not look highly on you. And so what will be your legacy? You have the opportunity to do what is right. You know, you get into public service because you want to serve, I hope. Uh, and so I want to remind people that we need to transition our politics of playing this game and doing what we can to hold on to power and money and focus on compassion, integrity, and leadership. What the philosophers and religious leaders of antiqu antiquity were talking about. Not much difference between what the ancient Greeks were challenged with then as we are as Americans now. And so I ask you to be a part of not just a campaign, but a actual movement. This is a movement. Unlike ever seen in the state of New Jersey, we have an opportunity to bring about a revolutionary change in the way politics, our economics, and our everyday interactions with our neighbors and our lives are conducted. And so I ask you to join our team and our efforts and to be a part of this movement at jacob2018.com. Uh, donate. But more importantly, at this point, we got 36 days to election. On June 5th is the primary election in New Jersey. Uh, we're in column D in Union County and column C in uh, most of the other counties. Uh, so look out for the name Peter Jacob. Uh, look out for all the candidates. Get informed about them. And uh, come out, Joan. Uh, come out and vote on June fifth. But help us win. Uh, help us restore the seat to the rightful owners. That is you. That is us. We, the people. Uh, so go to Jacob2018.com. Uh, sign up to volunteer, and we'll get in touch with you. We're revving up our phone banking. Host a phone banking event. Host a canvassing event. A launch uh, from your own home or uh, a location that you are familiar with, you know, get people involved. There's way too much in, at stake at this moment. There's a slew of progressives across the country. Now, I'm, I was endorsed by Justice Democrats, our, our revolution, brand new Congress, and uh, just recently, as of yesterday, Progressive Democrats of America. Check out those candidates. I didn't know you were part of a brand new so Congress. Much. Yes, yes, yeah. revolutionary group as right. well. Uh, find out, learn about these candidates and I be believe me at the end of the day the difference is even if you don't agree with them 100% we're not we never will uh, 
they stand with integrity. They are not going to answer to special interests before they answer to you. They will put people over politics, people over profits, people over polluters, and restore a government that is truly up by and for the people. So Jacob2018.com, check it out. Look forward to working with each and every single one of you. Thanks again, Jeff, and thank you to everybody who's tuned in today. Wonderful. Okay, just a, a quick question. I'm just curious, is anyone on the line with you? On the line? Is on in, your line in, on line three or whatever it is, in, uh, or C? Is, oh, oh, oh uh, in the, okay, on the ballot. In, uh, the column, yeah. Uh, so there are some candidates running um, in my township, a union. They happen to be bracketed with me, running for town council, very progressive folks, uh, trying to put an end to the uh, party politics uh, who are running in uh, line D with me over here. I heard in the township of Garwood as well, they're also in line D. Uh, some progressive folks, younger folks who are bringing about some change. Uh, and also people running for county committee. Just keep an eye out for reformed Democrats uh, of New Jersey. Okay. So not, not like a freeholder keep, uh, or anything. Keep an eye out for that slogan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, uh, no. We don't have any freeholder candidates. Okay. Okay. Um, I am committing to you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a board member on Our Revolution South Jersey. We're not, I'm not in your – I'm an hour – I'm a good hour and 20 minutes yeah. south of you. Um, but I'm committing to you that I'm going to organize a phone bank for you before the election for for people. There's plenty of people around here that support you. So from Thank a distance, you. we're going to do, I'm going to schedule a phone bank for you. Um, Excellent. We'll get you those details. Good, good. Peter, thank you very much. And it's on the record. I'm sorry, say it again. I said it's on the record now. Yes, it is. But I can always edit. It, Just kidding. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, it, I, I will. Um, yeah, no, thank you very much, Peter. Uh, I wish you the best of luck, of course. I'm sure we're going to cross paths at some point again. Um, and uh, I hope you win. Thank you, brother. All right. Good night. You have a good one. Bye.